Please turn to John chapter 1, and we'll be reading from verse 35 today. Please stand if you're able. This is God's holy word. Please give ear to it. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon. The son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This ends the reading of God's word. Please have a seat. And let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that we can come now and meditate upon your Son, Jesus Christ. Who is He? What has He done for us? Lord, we we pray that You would bless this time by Your Holy Spirit, that You would give us the ears to hear and believe and obey You today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me begin today by asking you a question. 
Is there anyone you'd like to meet? Maybe you have a favorite artist or a favorite author or a favorite historical figure. I'm sure we have a lot of different people we would like to meet if we could. What do you think it'd be like to meet that person in person? Would they be the same as you expect them to be? What do you think? And one time I had a chance to meet a famous person, a famous preacher. I'm not going to tell you this person's name, but you all know this person, I believe. And I looked up to him very greatly. And he had a really big influence on me. I read all of his books and I'd listened to many, many of his sermons. And so I had this huge expectation. Oh boy. I'm going to meet this guy. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. And then he came to a chapel, came to talk at a chapel at my school. And afterwards, I had the opportunity to finally meet my hero. Well, it did not go as I expected. It was a huge letdown. He seemed nothing like he seemed in his books or in his sermons when I talked to him personally. He almost seemed a little rude to me. So I was taken aback by that. That's why I'm not going to tell you who it was. <laughs> but I had this huge expectation. My bubble was burst, unfortunately. He was nothing like I expected him to be. Now in today's passage, the disciples, they met Jesus. They met Jesus for the very first time, didn't they? And one can only imagine the kind of expectation they had to meet the Lord, to meet the Messiah. They had waited and anticipated and longed for the Messiah, for the King. For hundreds of years, the Israelites had longed for the Messiah, for the Messiah to come, the King who would set them free from death, from misery. So their expectation would have been sky high, very high. They had high hopes about this man. How could anyone live up to that, that kind of expectation? But we see here that Jesus did not disappoint, did not disappoint at all. Indeed, when they met him, they were left with even greater expectation that they than they had originally. Why was that? So this is the main theme we want to see in today's text. Jesus comes as a king, a promised king. He does not disappoint his true disciples. Why? Because the disciples meet Christ in three ways. They meet him Personally, first of all, we'll see this in verses 35 to 42. And secondly, progressively. They meet him progressively. I'll explain what I mean in a minute. And lastly, they meet him prophetically. So three Ps. Personally, progressively, and prophetically. So first, Jesus' coming as the king doesn't disappoint true disciples because they meet him personally. Look at verse 35 again. It says, the next day, 
Again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God! The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be Cephas, which means Peter. First of all, what caused the disciples to follow after Jesus? Why did they do it in the first place? What was the trigger, so to speak? John the Baptist made a statement about Christ, which was, the Lamb of God, behold, the Lamb of God. This is what Pastor you spoke about all last sermon, which means this is the second time. This is the second time that John mentioned this. I don't know, maybe they didn't get it the first time. They need to hear it a second time. But when they heard it the second time, it's when they acted. So the Lamb of God. When they heard that, they, know they, they knew they had to follow. They had to follow this man, this Lamb. So why do you follow the Lamb of God? As we heard last week, the Lamb of God was a sacrifice. He had to die. Be given up as a sacrifice for forgiveness of sins. So that's why they followed. They knew that they need, needed their sins forgiven. So they followed after this lamb to have their sins forgiven. But what do they call him? Notice what they call him when they find him. They don't call him the lamb of God. That might be kind of strange. <laughs> they call him rabbi. And rabbi, it says here, means teacher. So if you're going to follow this lamb, you have to follow him as a disciple. If you're going to be a Christian, you have to be a student, a disciple, someone who follows Jesus to learn from him. And imagine learning from Christ. He's a teacher who knows all. Can you imagine having a teacher who knows all? Now, think about the Old Testament. How did God reveal himself in the Old Testament? He was hidden away on the mountain in a dark cloud, Mount Sinai. And he gave commandments written on stone. It's kind of cold and dis distant in a sense. Here we have this great contrast with how the Lord Jesus, the very incarnation of God the Son, how he reveals himself, how he teaches personally. He brings his teaching personally. They could touch him. They could listen to him speak. They spent the night with him. They followed him. They could grab hold of him. So Jesus 
Of course, he died for us as the Lamb of God to take the punishment we deserve. But another thing we shouldn't forget is that he became the very embodiment of his own teaching, of God's law. He lived a perfect life as the Lamb of God. Spotless Lamb. That means he's perfect. Now, Peter talks about this. We had our sermon series in First Peter not too long ago. And this is what Peter says in chapter 2. He says, For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. So Jesus became a teacher and a lamb that we can follow. His pattern so in this way, Jesus tells them, come and you will see. Come and you will see. He doesn't say, first of all, you've got to understand everything about me. And only after that, then you can follow. No, that's not what he says. He says, first, you've come after him. First, you follow. And then you will see. First, you follow, and then you will understand. Now, in church history, St. Anselm had a little saying, I think sums this up. In Latin, it's credo ut intelligam. That means, I believe so that I may understand. So, we follow after him, and then, then, it's only then, we're able to understand more and more. So what's described here is a personal relationship with the Messiah. That's the second thing they call him here, the Messiah, which means the anointed one, the one who had the oil poured upon him. In other words, this is what they would do to the king. Also the prophets and the priests shows their office. But he is not just any anointed one, but the anointed one, the Messiah. Now, most of us can't imagine meeting even somebody like the president of our country, but imagine having an intimate relationship with the king of the universe. Now, Andrew and Peter, they had read about the Messiah in the Old Testament. They had heard about him in the Old Testament from the prophets. But I bet they never imagined that they would meet him personally. Be able to spend their lives together with him. Have meals with him. Stay in the same house as him. Learn at his feet. Amazing. And one indication of that personal relationship we see here at the end is that Simon got a new name. He was named by Christ, renamed Cephas, or Peter, which means the rock. Now usually when we give names to people, when we give nicknames or something, it's based upon some past experience we had together. Maybe it's kind of making fun of them a little bit. But here, that's not the case. 
Jesus is actually, if you look closely, he's using the future tense in this name giving. He says, you shall be, you shall be called Cephas. If you remember back in the Old Testament, Abram, God also gave Abram a new name that had great meaning. And he was given the name Abraham, which means the father of many nations. But when was he given that name? Before he even had Isaac. Before Isaac had been born, he was given this name. Well, in a similar way here, Peter, he was just beginning out. He had just starting out his life, and he's just met Christ. He's not yet become the rock. And yet Jesus says, this is what I'm going to make you into. I'm going to make you into the rock. What does it rock mean? Peter's going to be a, a rock who's a, a man of unshakable courage. Now this was a process because obviously Peter denied Christ, didn't he? Peter made many stake, mistakes. But at the end of the process, he became the rock, unshakable faith and courage. Now this brings us to our second point. The coming of the king, it doesn't disappoint true disciples because they meet Christ progressively. Look at verse 43. It says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. So you see it's repeated there again. Come and see. And this is what I'm getting at when I talk about this progressive relationship with Christ. Now how is it progressive? Here it, it talks about the Old Testament. It was progressive throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, Jesus was being revealed gradually throughout the law and the prophets. Moses wrote of Christ. Later, the prophets wrote more about him. So the Bible says, in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time, Christ came. And here it is the fullness of time, and Jesus finally comes, calls his disciples. It's very climactic. And these men can now recognize him as the true Messiah. This is what men had longed for. Matthew 13, 17 says, Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. But where was the Messiah to be from? The Messiah... It doesn't say in the Old Testament that the Messiah was supposed to come from Nazareth. And notice Nathaniel, he kind of is taken aback by that. Nazareth? Why is that? 
Nazareth was kind of a little podunk, tiny little town, maybe about 2,000 people. So he's saying, what? How can the Messiah, this great king, how can he come from this Nazareth? Doesn't, doesn't make sense to him. It's kind of like if somebody told me, uh, there's a new president and he's from your hometown, New Auburn, Wisconsin. 500 people. No, I wouldn't believe it. What? I know those people and they're not that great. That's the idea. That's the idea behind here, what he said. Now, this progression of revelation, revealing of Christ, it's not only historical, but it's personal. It happens individually with each person as we know God. Now, Philip said to Nathaniel, a person has to come and see have to come and see who Jesus is. So Christ reveals himself progressively to us, to his disciples. As you seek to know him more and more, you'll find out more. You know, there are some things that we cannot explain. We can't explain until you experience them for yourself. And this is the case with Jesus. And Nathaniel here is a representative of this process that all of us believers have to go through in order to know Christ better and better. We have to follow after him eagerly. So I want to tell you today, if you've grown lazy, and it's easy to do, if you've grown lazy in following after Christ, I urge you to begin following him eagerly, once again. Why? Because you have so much more. You have so much more to know and learn about him. As God, he's infinite. And this brings us to our last point, our third point. The coming of the king doesn't disappoint true disciples because he comes to us prophetically. Look at verse 47. It says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So Jesus, as the prophet of a new age, he perceives the heart. He perceives the heart in a way that no one else can. Now, you know, when you're in a relationship with someone, that's what you desire very strongly. It's one of the things we desire most is to be known. We want to be known 
by someone else. Truly known. And it can be really frustrating when we're not understood by that person. And Jesus here, he demonstrates, he knew Nathaniel even before he met him. He knew him already perfectly, intimately. He knew all about him. Now, there's a certain irony here because he says, Nathaniel, what does he say about him? He says he's an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. Israelite indeed, in whom there's no deceit. But when we think about Israel or Jacob, what was he known for? He was known for being deceitful, for lying. He's called the deceiver, Jacob. So his people, <laughs> might, you might think they'd follow in that way, and they, they did, in fact. And so Jesus here, he doesn't talk about Nathaniel in order to give him a compliment. He's not trying to boost his morale and say, wow, you're a special guy, Nathaniel. Why does he say this? He's trying to give us a definition of what a true Israelite is. Who is a true Israelite? Because as we read the Old Testament, we saw what Israel had done. They had worshipped falsely. They had pretended to worship the Lord. But they didn't really. The hypocritical religion. But Jesus is saying here, a true Israelite, like Nathaniel is one who's not engaged in hypocritical religion. But he truly trusts and believes in Christ. So the Jews had been exiled for their hypocritical religion. But here, the Bible also talks about a faithful remnant. And that's what Jesus is pointing out here now he talks about the fig tree. He says, I, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel was amazed by that. And if you read the Old Testament, Israel was a symbol of the fig tree. So that's the connection there. Now the question I want you all to ask yourselves is could Jesus say the same thing about you? Could Jesus say that you are an Israelite indeed? And that there's no deceit in you. That you're truly following after him. That you're not engaged in hypocritical religion. You see, there is a way that many people go about religion in order to look good in, in front of others. But not to truly worship God, follow him. So I want you to to let Christ's words here be a kind of mirror, mirror upon your soul and your hearts. Could he say the same to you? So as a prophet of this new age, Jesus also foretold, he talks about greater things, greater things to come. Indeed, Nathaniel would see much greater things, such things as Jesus' miracles, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, rising to heaven, 
and Pentecost, the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the church. These are amazing things that Jesus was pointing to here. All part of this new era in salvation history, accomplishing our salvation. But notice how Jesus talks about them. The Old Testament prophets, they always pointed to someone outside of themselves, someone else, someone to come in the future. But Jesus doesn't prophesy like that at all. Instead, he points those disciples, not outside himself, but directly to himself. So, as you study the Bible, as you study the teachings of Jesus, don't do as many do to merely learn life principles. You need to study his teachings to know him, to know him better and his glory. And the last verse here, he uses this great imagery. And we read about it from Genesis chapter 28. We call it Jacob's ladder. Jacob had this amazing dream. And if we look at verse 12, I think that's kind of the most important part there. It says, And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Jesus says that he, in fact, him, he calls himself the Son of Man. He says, the Son of Man is this ladder. The Son of Man, Christ, is the ladder that Jacob dreamt about. Isn't that amazing? And he's not really referring to any particular events, but he's talking about everything that Jesus would accomplish because Jesus accomplished a connection between heaven and earth. He understands? And the angels ascending and descending are referring to God's power going between the two. And it can only happen because Christ is the latter. Christ, we call him the mediator, the go-between between God and man. So Jesus is the only ladder between heaven and earth. If you want to reach heaven, which is really symbolizing communion with God himself, you have to go by that ladder only, Christ. So John Calvin in his commentary, he explains it this way. He says, If we consider, if we duly consider what took place at that time, he says, it is a perpetual duration. For the kingdom of God was formally closed against us, is actually opened in Christ. A visible instance of this was shown to Stephen and to the three disciples on the mountain and to the other disciples at Christ's ascension. But all the signs by which God shows himself present with us depend on this opening of heaven, more especially when God communicates himself to us 
to be our life. So this is what Jesus is, truly. And this is why we have to give him the greatest reverence and honor. He connects us with heaven, with God himself. So congregation, let me ask you the same question that I asked at the beginning of the sermon. Who are you longing to see? Who would you like to meet? Now we know there are many famous people we'd like to meet. But the reality is there's only one person. There's only one person who can fulfill your highest expectations, your greatest hopes in life. There's only one person, and that's the Lord Jesus. Now church, as we've seen, the coming of the King, he does not disappoint true disciples because he comes to us personally. He's revealed to us progressively and he comes to us prophetically. And to meet Christ is to meet the one in who who the hope of the world rests. Now, everyone will meet Christ face to face one day. But the question is, will you meet him as your savior or will you meet him as your judge? So I ask you today, have you met him? Have you truly met him? Have you begun following after him like those disciples did that day 2,000 years ago? If not, today is the day to begin following him. Begin coming after him so you can see him for who he truly is. Now, even though, even though Jesus, he's not bodily present on this earth right now, he does just as surely meet us today personally and progressively, and prophetically. How does he do that? In his word. In his word, in his Holy Spirit, in the sacraments we're about to take, he meets us just as surely. And you can draw near to him at any moment in prayer. And for those of us who have already begun following Christ, Are you continuing to seek after him? You know, like Peter and the other disciples in our sin, we sometimes, rather than following him, we run away, get scared, rather than following him. So let me urge you, set yourself again on the path of following after him, eagerly. You know, like those first disciples, we may seek him out daily longing to know more and more about him through the means of grace. In this way, you shall truly see heaven opened, opened before you, as he promised Nathaniel. So in closing, hear this promise from Jesus. He said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your Son. 
We thank you that he indeed is the ladder that connects heaven and earth. We thank you that we can commune with you, with Jesus as our mediator. We thank you that we have infinite glory to behold in the future because of what he has done for us. Lord, we pray that you'd bless this church and remind them of this truth. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.